0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote at least two letters to the church there in Corinth. In the first letter, he dealt with several difficulties that they were struggling with within their church. Some sins, some false teaching, some misapplications of the promises of Jesus' return. And then he wrote 2 Corinthians to them. And as you're turning to that, we'll be in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And second Corinthians, he deals with some issues. They had some teachers that had come in that were false. They had fixed a lot of the issues that he had asked them to fix in first Corinthians, and he was giving them a little bit of correction as in at least one of those issues. They got a little overzealous in their correction. Today we are looking at a, a, at some visions that Paul is talking about. And, uh, we're going to look at second Corinthians chapter 12 verses one through 10. So hear the word of the Lord. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows. Was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me three times. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we're all weak. And yet we are here in your presence to hear from you and to learn of you from your word. As I stand up here as a broken vessel, I ask that you speak through me and be glorified in me, regardless of my weaknesses, my stammerings, my misspoken words. May your people hear from you through me, a broken vessel seeking to carry living water. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Our question that I was asked that we are going to address today is what was Paul talking about when he mentioned the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or chapter 12 verse 2. And we're going to look at the answer to that question, but we're going to look at the answer to that question in the context of the whole passage here, the first 10 verses. Of Chapter 12 and to kind of give us a sense of what Paul is talking about when he opens up here, I must go on boasting. It's important for us to realize and to to know that earlier in chapter 11, Paul is addressing some false apostles, some people who had come into Corinth at some point after he was there, whether it was before the first letter or in between the, the first and the second letter or what we have as the first and the second letter and began to teach a different gospel. And they gave certain things as the basis for why they should be heard. And these were positive things. They had received special things from God. They had done special things for God. And because of these very important things, they began to boast. Things that were important to them. They began to boast and to brag about how important they were to the work of God and how you should listen to them. And Paul is dealing with these false teachers by dealing with their boasting, by their bragging. Imagine if I came in here and said, you know, guys, I have been working for the and I haven't been. But let's take this for sake of example. Guys, I have been working for the last five years on my doctorate of theology and therefore regardless of what i say you need to listen to me because i'm important because i have a degree that's what these men were doing as they came to corinth and paul says as we begin today he looks at what he has to boast about and as we consider these words in second corinthians chapter 12 we're going to look at how paul boasts in the ways that God has honored him, we're going to look at how Paul was humbled by suffering. And we're going to look at how grace is sufficient for not only for Paul, but for us as well. First, Paul, but Paul can boast in God's honor, the way God has honored him. Now Paul has been talking against the boasting of other people who had come through Corinth. And now he begins to lay out what it is that he can boast about. In the second half of chapter 11, he's boasting in his suffering, talking about the insults and the persecutions that he has had uh, inflicted upon him. And he says, I want to boast in those things. Jesus said we would suffer like he suffered, and so I will boast in that and in that alone. But in chapter 12, he says, but if you want me to boast about positive things, let me show you and tell you the way that God has honored me, and I will boast in those things. The first way that God has honored Paul is that he has honored him through visions and revelations. Revelations that he talks about here are opening up or revealing of mysteries. What mysteries had Paul had revealed to him? God had revealed to Paul and Paul had revealed to the churches how Jesus fulfilled everything that was promised in the Old Testament. Remember, as Paul preached to the churches throughout Asia Minor, throughout the known world, he was preaching from the Old Testament, but he was preaching Christ from the Old Testament. Going all the way back, I'm sure, to Genesis chapter 3, where God promises as a Redeemer, Paul started there, looked at man's fall, looked at God's promise of the Redeemer, traced that throughout the Old Testament because God had revealed to him the mystery of how God would redeem humanity, how God would reconcile himself to sinners. And so Paul says, I can boast in my revelations. But not only can he boast in his revelations from God, he can boast in his visions from God. As part of Paul's conversion experience recorded for us in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22, Paul has a vision of Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, before him, calling him to change his life, asking him why he is persecuting Jesus as he persecutes the church. Later on in Acts chapter 9, Paul receives another vision of Ananias coming to minister to him. As he sits there blind in that room, God honors him by letting him know what's going to happen next as Ananias comes to him. In Acts chapter 16, Paul receives a vision. Paul is planning to go in one direction with his missionary journey, but he receives a vision from God that says, no, change where you're going and go to Macedonia. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 23, Paul, God gives Paul encouragement in difficult ministries through visions that he gives to him. And once again, in Acts 27, Paul is given in a vision an assurance that he and the other passengers on the boat will be saved, will be rescued as long as they stay with the boat in the midst of the storm. So God has honored Paul through visions and revelations. Secondly, God has honored Paul by taking him to heaven. And that's the question that we begin to deal with today in verse two. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things. And we we see what the definition of this third heaven is in two different ways. The first way is the context that we have here. The parallelism of talking about this man being caught up to paradise as well. Not only is he caught up to the third heaven, he's caught up to a garden like place where God dwells, where God resides. The other way we see the meaning of what this third heaven is, is to consider how Hebrews would view the cosmos We dwell immediately under the first heaven. We look up and we see the blue skies and the clouds and the birds flying through the first heaven. At night, as we look up through the first heaven, we see the second heaven. The realm where the stars, the sun and the moon dwell. And yet in Hebrew thought there was a third heaven, which was where God dwelled which was his great throne room. It's the place to which Isaiah was taken in Isaiah chapter 6. It's the place to which John is taken as he is go- as he goes to the very same place as Isaiah did. And apparently here, Paul was taken there as well. During the first century, rabbis would teach certain things. They would boast about themselves by talking about themselves in the third person. It would be like me standing up here and saying, hey, let me tell you about Ike. Ike's a really great guy, and all these really great, wonderful things have happened to Ike. And why would I do that in the third person? Because I want to deflect the glory from me and make it look as though it happened to somebody else. If I'm going to talk about my sins, I am going to talk about me in the first person. I am one who is broken. I am one who is a cracked vessel seeking to bring the glories of God to the people. But if I'm going to talk about wonderful things that happened in my life, and I don't typically do this, I talk about other wonderful things that happened to other people, but I may say, hey, I knew a guy one time that wrestled with a sin and found victory over it. So Paul is very humbly presenting the fact here that God had taken him up into his very throne room. And that's where he received the third honor, was hearing these unspeakable words. Words that are inexpressible, words that he was not permitted to tell. Why? Because it was the council of heaven. It was that divine decree of God, the divine discussion that happens in the throne room of God as God declares what he's going to work out throughout the world and throughout humanity. So Paul boasts in his honors. He boasts in the first honor, which is the visions and the revelation. He boasts of being taken up, whether in body or in spirit, he wasn't sure, into the throne room of God. And he boasts of the honor that he received by hearing the counsel of heaven. But he boasts about something else that God gives him. And that is a thorn in the flesh. And that takes us to our second point, which is that Paul is humbled by sufferings. How long does he say in here it was in the past? that that Paul received this vision of heaven? It's 14 years, wasn't it? Can you imagine keeping a vision like that quiet for 14 years? What would we do today? Well, oh, we'd write a book and secure the movie rights, wouldn't we? Paul sat on this for 14 years. Why did he sit on this? Because God honored him by keeping him from becoming conceited By giving him a thorn in the flesh. Do we think of suffering as a gift from God? Do we think of suffering as a grace? Paul actually tells us in Romans chapter 5 that that is exactly what it is. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ What character does Paul say God needed to work out in his own life? Well, apparently Paul tended toward conceitedness. Just like the false apostles that came into Corinth that he was arguing against. And so in answer to Paul's conceitedness, he gives Paul a thorn in the flesh. This is a pretty serious issue for him. We know this in two ways. Number one, the word translated thorn is used in other places in scripture and throughout Greek thought to describe a large, sharply pointed stick used for torturing or impaling. This is not a stub toe. This is not arthritis in his knee. This is something horrific. This is something difficult. This is something painful. And we don't know what it is. People have conjectured over the years. No, we really have no idea what it is. Paul doesn't tell us what it is. He only tells us that it wouldn't go away. It was constant. It was chronic. And it caused him difficulty. He even describes it as Satan beating him up with it. The word torment there is a word used in like a boxing match. Where somebody just pummels somebody with their fists. This thorn... Almost destroy Paul is the sense that we get here. How many of us think of chronic suffering as a grace? How many of us think of chronic difficulty as something that God is using to develop within us godly, Christ-like character? If it was me, I'd just complain about it. I'd ask God to take it away. Lord, a mosquito bit me three days ago and it still itches. Make it stop. Don't ask what I would do if it was an actual thorn in the flesh like Paul had. I'd be tempted to give up. And yet Paul persevered. Paul learned the lesson that God wanted him to learn and he walked on in his life. And I'm sure that it was those visions. 14 years of suffering. And yet he kept in mind that vision that he had, the glory of God that had been revealed to him. The hope that you and I have of dwelling forever, not just for moments, not knowing for sure whether it was in the spirit or in the body, but dwelling forever with God, with a reunited body and spirit, a glorified body. To motivate us to walk through suffering, to seek God's glory in suffering And to understand that through suffering, God is drawing us closer to him and seeking to make us more Christlike. Every now and then, God graces me with watching somebody who has struggled greatly with the difficulty. And yet returns weekly to church or constantly has the praises of God upon their lips Because they understand the hope that is theirs. They understand the vision. So Paul boasts in God's honor. Paul is humbled by his suffering. And Paul has shown that God's grace is sufficient. Paul is very honest here. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn away from me. I talked to a lady the other day. She's grieving the loss of her husband. she had been grieving him for a couple years. It was somebody I met through hospice. And she said, Ike, I'm so sad, but I just know it's not right for me to pray to God to, to make me feel better. And I looked at her and I said, where did you get that idea? You didn't get it from Scripture. Somebody taught you something wrong. Go read the Psalms. And see and listen to the psalmists. After I left her, I thought of Psalm 73, which really it was good. I thought of it after I left her, because that particular psalm didn't really speak to her need at the time. But Asaph in Psalm 73 is right there before God says, God, I've got all these promises in the scripture promises that the righteous will prosper. Promises that the wicked will be punished. And yet I look out upon the world and it's the wicked that the prosper. And it's the righteous that go to their graves. Hungry, thirsty and abandoned. What's the deal? But. Then I entered the sanctuary of God. And I saw that the unrighteous are on a slippery slope. And the unrighteous will be judged. Judged. Maybe not in this world, but in the world to come. Asaph understood that no matter what his life looked like, God's greater plan was enough to bring him peace, even though the world seemed to be spinning out of control. That's what Paul says here. I prayed to God three times. I pleaded with God, take this away from me. And God says, my grace is enough for you. The grace that saved you from your sins, the grace that knocks you off your horse because you are going to persecute the church, the grace that has given you the promise of the vision that you saw, not just as a vision, but as a reality. When my son returns, that grace is enough for you. That grace is all you need. Did Paul still hurt? Absolutely. Did Paul still want the physical thing gone? If he's a human like I am, you betcha. But he knew, as he says later in Romans from where we read, he says, nothing that happens to me upon this earth, every suffering that I go through compares as nothing to the glory that awaits me in Christ Jesus, in the new heavens, and the new earth. Brothers and sisters, we have bought into the false idea that physical or emotional distress is a sign that God is disappointed in us, is a sign that God hates us. Now, there may be some truth to the fact that sometimes we suffer because we sin, we do things wrong, but we don't always suffer because of God's disappointment in us. Sometimes our suffering is His love for us. And we need to let that sink in. Suffering is not a sign that we are abandoned by God. Suffering is an opportunity for God to show His glory in our frailty. Paul says, I can boast in the ways that God honors me. Paul says, reminds us that he was humbled by suffering and he shows us that God's grace is sufficient. Several takeaways from this. Number one, what God does for us in developing our Christian character is far more valuable than physical healing without character. Sometimes God leaves us in suffering because he is trying to make us more and more like his son. He's trying to help us to take off the old man and put on the new. And it's more important for us to seek out drawing closer to God in trust, in faith, in allowing his grace to dwell upon us than it is for us to find physical healing. God knows how to balance burdens and blessings, suffering and glory. And what I'm not saying when I say that God knows how to balance burdens, blessings, suffering and glory, I am not saying that God will not give you more than you can handle. Because earlier in the book, Paul says, hey, you want to know what God gave me? I worried that I was going to die. And I'm probably sure that was more than what Paul could handle. But what God does is remind us and balance his grace that we need with the burdens that he gives us brothers and sisters do you wrestle with some type of suffering suffering whether it's physical whether it's emotional whether it's mental it may not be your sin it may be god's love god didn't only the good shepherd doesn't only lead the sheep to the pastures and to the still waters It's written in such a way that he leads the sheep into the valley of the shadow of death because he loves the sheep. There is something worse than sickness and suffering, brothers and sisters, and that is sin. And that is going to the end of sickness and suffering still in our sin and not knowing God. White Horse Inn website the other day put this, this quote up. It is not sinful to pray, Lord, I don't wish to suffer any longer. I don't want to go through this anymore. Please end it. It's not sinful to do that. You just have to recognize that sometimes God responds by saying, My grace is sufficient for you. I told you earlier in this that sometimes one of the most encouraging things I see is people that I know that are struggling, people that I know that are suffering, and yet they're here every Sunday, knowing that they don't want to be here, knowing that this is the hardest thing in the world for them to do. And yet they walk in this room because they understand that God's grace, God's power is shown not in eloquent words, not in human power, not in strength, but in weakness. Some of the most Powerful work for the gospel has come because we are frail. Fragile. Pieces of dust. That God has created to be his image. And where my cracks show through. God's glory pours out if I'm willing to rest in his grace that dwells upon me. We can always rest in God's promises. And then better than what Paul got in verses 2 through 4. The promises include the hope that we will dwell forever with him as glorified. Healed people. Let us pray. Our God and Father above. May your grace be sufficient for me. May your grace be sufficient for your people. And may we seek to see your glory, your strength, your power in our frailty, in our weakness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.